You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Lucinda Larnock. This is the WFHB Local News 4, Thursday, March 4th, 2021. Later in the program, we have an excerpt from our public affairs program, Blooming Out, one of the nation's longest-running LGBTIQ-focused radio shows. In today's excerpt, you will hear from Melinda and Carol, special guests from Just Married, a podcast hosted by Jennifer Bass exploring stories of same-sex marriage in the decade of marriage equality. More on that in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, WFHB correspondent Catherine Patterson reports on a failed ordinance that would have added protections for people experiencing homelessness in Bloomington. More following today's headlines. But first, your local news brief. From WFHB, this is the local news brief for Thursday, March 4th. I'm Jake Jacobson. On Wednesday, the Indiana State Department of Health announced that residents ages 50 and older are now eligible to sign up and receive the COVID-19 vaccine. The age of eligibility has been lowered twice just this week, from 60-plus on Monday. Hoosiers who are first responders or healthcare workers who have not received their vaccination are still eligible as well. If you qualify, you can sign up online by visiting ourshot.in.gov over the phone by calling 211 for assistance or by contacting one of Indiana's area agencies on aging. At 6.30 p.m. Wednesday afternoon, the Bloomington Common Council met for a regular session. Wednesday's session included readings and resolutions on Ordinance 21-06. Ordinance 21-06 would make a series of amendments to the Bloomington Municipal Code to add protections for people experiencing homelessness. The ordinance was drafted in response to the multiple evictions of homeless encampments carried out by the city of Bloomington this year, despite guidelines provided by the Center of Disease Control and Prevention that say encampments should be left intact during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Almost nine hours later, at 3.21 a.m., the ordinance failed with a 4-4 vote, with council members Dave Rollo, Ron Smith, Sue Scamble-Yuri, and Susan Sandberg voting against. Several attempts were made to salvage the ordinance. A vote to send the ordinance back to committee, where it could be reworked and rewritten, failed 4-4, with the same four council members voting against. There are nine members of the Bloomington City Council, so why were there so many tied votes? Council President Jim Sims could not attend Wednesday's meeting due to a death in his family. At 1.40 a.m. this morning, Councilmember Matt Flaherty made a motion to postpone the vote until next month's April 7th meeting, so Sims could be in attendance. Flaherty argued that all nine council members should weigh in on the ordinance. The motion to postpone also failed, with Rolo, Smith, Scamble-Yuri, and Sandberg again voting against. That's all for your local news brief. From WFHB... I'm Jake Jacobson. The Monroe County Commissioners approved stormwater system user fee increases during their March 3rd meeting. 
Highway Director Lisa Ridge stated the stormwater fee was the lowest in Monroe County. Attorney Dave Schilling spoke about the increased details. This ordinance would increase the stormwater system user fee from $35.16 to $75.77. And the stormwater uh, rate was uh, established about 10 years ago. And over the and, and this the staff started preparing studies and reports and programs and, and projects schedules to to uh, meet the storm, their stormwater obligations. But over that uh, last decade, there have been some changes that uh, really make a, a, an increase in the storm uh, rate uh, necessary. Uh, there's been an increase in uh, the cost of construction, uh, the, uh, the establishment of uh, many new developments has increased uh, stormwater pressures. Uh, the um, Climate change has had, certainly had an effect on the way uh, stormwater flows in our county. Schilling stated the Indiana Department of Environmental Management increased regulations, which created additional tasks for the stormwater staff. He mentioned the fee would occur annually through tax bills. Commissioner Julie Thomas commented on the county council's pressure to pass the ordinance on Monday. In a nutshell, we've we've basically had to have a meeting about eight days earlier than we would have asked them to provide final consideration. Normally that would have happened at their um, regular meeting in March, which is next Tuesday. Uh, but because of, of the necessity of getting the calculations into the tax bills on time to get them out um, for the treasurer's office, we did ask that they have this extra meeting and meet eight days earlier. And we appreciate their flexibility um, and their willingness to do so. Commissioner Lee Jones stated an increased fee was necessary to mitigate flooding and stormwater issues caused by a high rate of development in Monroe County. Thomas mentioned developments should be planned proactively. But we're, we're gonna be looking more closely at everything. Um, to be more preventative, to be proactive rather than reactive, which I think is gonna be a huge benefit to everyone in the community. Every time we do anything or build anything, we're impacting all of the people around us. We're impacting the roadways, we're impacting the waterways, we're impacting the water quality. Um, we, we, we don't live in a bubble and it, it compounds itself. Um, when one thing happens, one thing is built improperly, it really compounds the problem down the line. And, and as Commissioner Jones pointed out, between climate change and our topography and our development, we have to be really careful um, because we are living in a very sensitive environment. Thomas stated the fee would be on the May tax bill. County planner Drew Myers presented a side yard variance setback for a property in Perry Township. He spoke of the variance during the March 3rd Monroe County Board of Zoning Appeals meeting. Um, Petitioner is requesting a variance from Chapter 833 side yard setback requirement of the Monroe County Zoning Ordinance. The purpose of this variance is to allow the petitioner to construct 900 square feet uh, detached garage that will encroach 10 feet into the required 20 foot side yard setback. Um, so that's um, an encroachment of 10 feet into that required 20-foot setback. Myers stated the proposed structure is 17 feet tall, which is above the allowed 15-foot tall structure. Petitioner Todd Borgenman stated that the height was due to roof designs. 
Uh, Mr. Anderson has a conversion van that needs the 10 foot high garage doors. So we did try to model a garage with a roof line that could work for that, but we did not feel that it matched his house or the existing houses with the layout and the roof was just gonna be too flat and, it, and not conform with the existing houses and his house as well. So he, he talked to his neighbor, Mr. Bulling to the east, um, the Bulling family, which has also sent a letter to planning and myself um, in support of the variance. And he asked Mr. Mr. Bulling what he thought was better, whether to keep the roof line the same or to go for this five foot setback. And, and Mr. Bulling agreed that he liked the 10 foot setback better with the, the roof line matching the, the existing neighborhood. Board member Margaret Clements stated the placement of the garage seemed to devalue the property. Board members approved the variance with Clements voting against. Up next, WFHB correspondent Catherine Patterson reports on a failed ordinance that would have added protections for people experiencing homelessness. We turn to Patterson for more. Yesterday, Bloomington City Council voted down an ordinance that would add protections for those experiencing homelessness in Bloomington. The council meeting lasted almost nine hours going into early Thursday morning, listening to many members of the community testify for and against the ordinance. Ordinance 2106 would have put procedures in place before the city could evict people experiencing homelessness from certain public spaces. It would also have required sufficient housing prior to an eviction, which includes permanent or traditional housing. This would not have included emergency shelters. Kate Rosenbarger, city council member that proposed the ordinance on the 24th of February, says that the way things are currently set up, it is a violation of the Eighth Amendment. Right now, if they can't get into a shelter, they literally have nowhere to legally sleep in the city. There's a Department of Justice brief that was issued under the Obama administration in 2015. It's just talking about it should be uncontroversial that punishing conduct that's universal and unavoidable violates the Eighth Amendment. So sleeping is something everybody has to do. It has to happen at some place, right, sometime. And so the idea that we're saying it can't happen anywhere in the city outside when we don't always have a place to put someone is just not okay, I think. There was some backlash from the Bloomington Chamber of Commerce and members of the city council, saying that the bill encouraged damages to the city and had many economic repercussions. Rosenbarger says that the writers of the ordinance were open to changes. However, those against the bill weren't looking for the same. It's difficult to talk to the people who don't see this as something we need to be doing, to ask them for a solution or a tweak to this ordinance, if, if that makes sense. Like they don't want it, so they're not up for making small changes. Homeless shelters around the greater Bloomington area supported the ordinance, including Executive Director of Beacon Inc., Forrest Gilmore, who said in an interview with WFHB last week that although the experience of homelessness varies for everyone, they all need support from their community. All of them are dealing with an environment that is incredibly um, difficult uh, and uh, punitive towards people who are who are poor, um, making uh, their lives that much harder. So 
so I think it's really important that we do whatever we can to um, to make the experience of poverty uh, less burdensome um, and provide more support to help people get back on their feet in whatever way works and is most appropriate for them. For WFHB, I'm Catherine Patterson. In today's feature report, we have an excerpt from our public affairs program, Blooming Out, one of the nation's longest-running LGBTIQ-focused radio shows. In today's excerpt, you will hear from Melinda and Carol, special guests from Just Married, a podcast hosted by Jennifer Bass, exploring stories of same-sex marriage in the decade of marriage equality. Blooming Out airs each Thursday at 6pm on WFHB. You can find the full airing of this program at WFHB.org. If not now, tell me when. If not now. Welcome to Just Married Stories about Love and Citizenship in the Decade of Marriage Equality. I'm Jennifer Bass. This show tells the story of same-sex couples in the heartland and their journeys into marriage. When Melinda and Carol first met in 1982, they never imagined what their light-hearted friendship would become. Melinda was married to Daniel when she first got to know Carol. I was, had been working for Planned Parenthood, and I left Planned Parenthood to teach at the university. And, but I knew Planned Parenthood had great resources that I wanted to use in a class I was teaching. Mm-hmm. I went back to Planned Parenthood to ask if I could use some of their AV resources. And who do I run into but this young woman who was in charge of sort of lending materials that had to do with human sexuality, which is what I was teaching. But then we figured out that we also knew each other from going to the same church. So I invited Melinda to come speak for me when I was assistant dean for women's affairs. Yes. As part of our women's speaker series. And then Daniel and I had a closer connection for a while. So this was my husband, and he liked to go to the Y and run around the track and then spend most of his time in the hot tub. (laughs) And that's where Carol was. So for a long time, I spent more time with Daniel than I spent with Melinda, and he was a good friend. Yeah. Though they had known each other for years, Melinda and Carol's friendship deepened in 2005 when Melinda's husband, Daniel, died of cancer. After Daniel died, I went, of course, to the memorial service Mm and saw you at church, but we don't remember how this happened, but somehow I invited Melinda to come to (laughs) to a university production. The Vagina Monologues on campus, my student group was sponsoring it. I have to work through the whole thing. I'm working with the students and the production. and I'm kind of looking around thinking, here I am in totally alien territory. These are all undergraduates. I don't know anything about them. This was not a date. This was, this was no, an just... event to which I was invited. But we remembered. It was Valentine's Day. But, but what I really remember is that afterwards, we sat in your car. Oh, yeah. And I said, how are you doing? And you told me in much more detail the story of Daniel's death. Mm -hmm. 
And it was, it was actually the first time I had sat down with somebody who wasn't intimately involved in it and told the whole story of his last week or so. And it felt comfortable to talk to you. And it was kind of a relief to be able to sort of let go of it, or at least start. The other thing I remember is when you were sending out updates to people, mm. kind of pre-caring bridge, when you were sending updates mm -hmm. via mm -hmm. email. And, um, sent to you. You sent, yeah, to me. And I remember writing to you that he's been the lucky guy, he had been a lucky guy mm -hmm. to have such a good relationship. And that at some point I ho in my life I hoped to have a relationship as good as yours was, the two of you. That's cool. I had no idea it would be you. <laughs> Carol was going through some issues of her own, breaking up with a longtime girlfriend and needing to move out with her old, infirmed cat. Melinda offered temporary refuge, both for Carol and her cat. So I have a kind of a cat infirmary going on here. So you can bring your cat to the cat hospital over here, and I can just take care of your cat alone with at least two of mine that were sick. And so we had a cat hospital. You know, this is ridiculous. We're having a great time living together. Why don't you just live here? Besides, by then I was pretty interested in her. I don't know that we were paying that much attention at the time. I was decided, I think I'm actually in love with this person because yes. it was so gradual and so, it just was a slow growing plant. And then we sort of said, wait a second, this is like, I think I know what this is. And then I thought, well, wait, that can't be right because I'm totally straight. And I was thinking, this can't be right because she's straight. I have a lot of straight friends. <laughs> and I have a lot of gay friends. I've never had a relationship with any of them. So it you know, just took a while to see what was happening. Well, when, when you did choose to come out to people, mm -hmm. who you came out to, oh. I thought was interesting. The order in which you came out to people and the people you felt comfortable coming out to mm -hmm. and the people who you then didn't feel as comfortable coming out to and how you did it. It didn't feel like I was a different person, that I had any different values, that I had any different interests. I thought, come out. What can I say? I just love you. Thank Why bother? People will figure this out. It seemed like it just flowed onto something else. Meanwhile, the fight for marriage equality was heating up around the country. When marriage became legal in California, Melinda's daughter invited them to come out and get married. They were touched by the gesture, but weren't quite ready to jump into wedding planning. Then a year later, it happened in Indiana. So that day, um, which was June 25th, um, in Indiana, we sat, you know, we listened to the news in the morning and said, oh man, it's legal in Indiana. Maybe we should get married. So we said, well, we'll go think about it and tomorrow, morning, we'll make a decision, or we'll have a cup of coffee. You, well, you, you had to work at Vim. I was working that day. And I had a mammogram up in Indianapolis, so we were busy. <laughs> we, we couldn't go We can't go today. Today just won't work. So we got home and said, well, tomorrow morning we'll decide. We'll, and then Linda came up with, let's go to bed. Yep. Wake up in the morning and over coffee, we'll discuss and see what we want to do. So I'm listening to the radio in the morning and it's, you know, still legal. It's still legal. Today. Do so, you want to do it today? So we went over to the courthouse about 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I'm just dressed in my regular clothes. And Carol says, you can't wear that to get married in. 
And I had to, so I had to change my clothes. Just your shirt. I had just put just on your t-shirt. I just said. She said, you can't get married in a t-shirt. I think a t-shirt. So, okay. So, we were pretty casual. I yeah, we were wearing clothes, it, but we went in there. And there's a young woman in the lobby passing out white roses. She gave each of us. She says, everybody should have flowers on the day they get married. So sweet. Mm-hmm. So now we're crying. So we go in the, the clerk's office, and there's nobody in front of us. We are right there. We walk right up to the desk and apply. And she is cool as can be. And then she starts crying. She says, this is why I love my job. But then she said, when are you going to have your ceremony? And we said, oh, we don't know. Maybe later today, maybe mm-hmm. on the weekend. She said, let me tell you, you better do it right away because they've already filed the paperwork to rescind this. So I'm signing off my name, and she's on the phone calling Marianne saying, could we get married right now? Are you, can we do it now? Right, right now? now? She's like, well, and she I'm said, at church. I'm at church. Come on over. <laughs> okay. On the way over there, we're trying to, we've got to have witnesses. So in about 20 minutes, we had two witnesses, two dogs in the car. The minister, one of the... Church administrator said, I'll take pictures. So in our own church, on a beautiful day, we we had no vows. She walked right in. We hadn't thought about what to say. She walked right in. She had it. It was a beautiful ceremony. I hardly remember. The church has a wooden sculpture. And it's made from the tree. It's made from a tree that Daniel tried to save for years and finally couldn't save. And... Our other minister saved it about an eight-foot section of this tree, and they carved it into a kind of an infinity symbol. Mm-hmm. And it sits in the front of our church, and on the, the little plaque says, In the Spirit of Dan Willard. So I was going to move this thing, which weighs about 500 Three, pounds. Yeah, it's hundreds of pounds, yes. But it's got a round base, so I could roll it. So, so we have a picture, and he was our best man. It was so perfect. He stood up. And he was there, and our witnesses, and Marianne, and the whole thing took about 10 minutes. One year later, exactly, was the Supreme Court's final decision that it was legal. So On our first anniversary. On our first anniversary. Our first anniversary. Our very same So we ended up on the front page of the HT. That was a little shocking. <laughs> then, then we were really out. This is the Supreme Court's, from the Supreme Court's, um, final uh, pronouncement on uh, same-sex marriage from a year from Anthony Kennedy. The year later. The year later, one year exactly. No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than once they were. As some of the petitioners in these cases demonstrate, Marriage embodies a love that may endure even past death. It would under misunderstand these men and women to say they disrespect the idea of marriage. Their plea is that they do respect it, respect it so deeply that they seek to find its fulfillment for themselves. Their hope is not to be condemned to live in loneliness, excluded from one of civilizations. It always gets me. Oldest institutions. They ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law, and the Constitution grants them that right. Isn't that great? (laughs) 
Support for Just Married comes from the Indiana University's Department of Gender Studies, the Office for Vice President for Research New Frontiers Program, and the IU Bloomington Arts and Humanities Council. WFHB's Blooming Out is our podcast host. Thanks this week to Alex Harrison, who got help from Betsy Joes and Michael Hamburger, and to Carrie Newcomer and the Blue Note Sessions for musical selections. Listen to Just Married podcasts on wfhb.org slash just-married or find us on Facebook at Marriage Equality Heartland. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Jake Jacobson, Catherine Patterson, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Melanie Davis. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Lucinda Larnock. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast, as well as all other WFHB news programming online at WFHB.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. Stay tuned for Big Talk with Michael Glab. That's coming up next on WFHB. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local longer. From WFHB, this is the local news brief. I'm Aaron Comforti. Local teachers with the Monroe County Education Association, the local affiliate of the Indiana State Teachers Association, the state's largest teachers union, protested newly proposed bills that they say would underfund the state's public schools. The newly proposed bills winding their way through the state legislature would give 40% of the state's education budget to the 10% of kids who go to private and charter schools. This is what Shelby, a member of the Teachers Association, said in a video posted on social media. This bill diverts public funds away from public schools in order to give it to private schools and charter schools. This means wealthier families get more money to send their kids to private school. This in turn takes money away from our public school children who need it most. Ben Yoder, an orchestra director with Hamilton Southeastern Schools, spoke about COVID-19 concerns in a video message as well. 
Governor Holcomb is refusing to prioritize teachers for the COVID-19 vaccine while simultaneously asking us to reopen schools to in-person instruction. Charter school proponents say that the schools bring innovation, more school choice and freedom. This is what Shelley Yoder, a state senator from Monroe County, told WFHB about the lack of oversight on private school funding. The voucher program, the charter schools, the private schools, there is no accountability. There is no transparency. Unlike public schools, where we have school boards that are elected by the people to make sure that their school corporations are run transparently and that people have a voice. That's all for your local news brief from WFHB. I'm Aaron Comforti.